Hello, welcome back to the Untitled SEO podcast. Now, we don't just talk about SEO. We like to talk about disruption, sustainability, and all of that good stuff. And sometimes I meet somebody who is very much focused on sustainability and disrupting a market. So I've got somebody like that here right now. So honoured guest, would you like to introduce yourself? (laughs) Good morning. Lovely to chat to you. Um, So hi, I'm Zoe. I am the co-founder of a company called Turn Eco. Turn is a B2B uh, retail tech solution that powers circular retail. So we help uh, brands and retailers systematically recover product for reuse or resale um, and in the process creating new revenue streams um, but also driving customer loyalty and lifetime value um, and helping save the planet. That's incredibly succinct Zoe. I think that's very neat and tidy. I think we can tell that you may have said that before. (laughs) We've been working (laughs) on that one liner for a while yes. (laughs) <laughs> it's excellent. Right. So before we kind of dig into into kind of the actual mechanics and, and the ideas behind Turn, um, can you tell us a little bit about your past? Because there's there's something I think our listeners would find very interesting with regards to, to how you got started in e-commerce. Yeah, no problem. So I um, my background um, has always been in retail um, and then uh, in digital retail, um, starting from my first ever retail job, my first Saturday job, which was working on my uncle's market stall in Brixton Market, selling fabric on a Saturday. Um, but my first job in digital retail um, came about when I was working at Disney Store um, on, a, on a separate project. Um, and that project was coming to an end and they were looking for um, someone to be their website coordinator for the first Disney Store website. And um, this was a time when, you know, people didn't really shop online. It wasn't, e-commerce wasn't a thing. Not everyone had a computer at home and it was very slow and, you know, used dial up. Um, but we did have a computer at home and, and I loved the potential of the internet. And so I was like, oh, this sounds really exciting, something I really want to do. What, what, what year was this roughly? Uh, early 2000s. Early 2000s. I uh, remember yeah. I, I had a job at the time as a, as a webmaster, ah. which I, I don't think is something that, that really exists anymore. But it, <laughs> it was quite normal that if you had a computer or, or understood a little bit about the internet, you could get a job as being, I'm not saying you did this, you could get a job. So just go, hey, you understand the internet. There you go. Have at it. Yeah, <laughs> so absolutely. It sounds obviously Disney was a bit deeper than that. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it was very early days for everyone. I mean, it was quite un, un, unusual for a brand to have a, a retail um, website at that point. Um, but I loved the opportunity and the potential. So I was like, oh, I really want to do this and applied for the job and got here. And and that was, it had me hooked from there on. And from there, um, I was there for about a year. And then I went on to work for Arcadia Group and most notably Topshop, where I spent a significant portion of my career in the digital team there. I mean, when I first started, there were two of us, myself and a and a digital marketing expert and I used to have to beg the buyers to to give us samples to put on the website because no one really understood what it was or why it was important and it was a distraction and you know it was going to take sales away from physical retail stores but you know bit by bit we we worked our magic and and the business grew and um, when I left uh, Topshop in 2017 I left a team of 50 um, and we'd done some amazing things um, in my time there um, and super proud of of that experience and, and the team we built and the work that we did. I'd like to think that when, when I speak to people like you, there'll be kind of a 
kids at universities in the future kind of looking back on case studies with things like this because as you say it was if you had to try and convince your your suppliers to give you product to take photos of to put the pictures on the internet i mean that that sounds obviously completely wild now but you you must have come across some hurdles other hurdles that that we couldn't that you possibly couldn't have foreseen i mean going from a team of 2 to 50 is, is amazing enough in its own right but i mean how how did you how did you manage the expectations of the people who asked you to to build this store, you know, for, for next, who, who asked you to kind of do something, or was it just experimental? Uh, there was definitely a lot of experimenting. I mean, a lot of the things that we did um, during that time were groundbreaking and new, and no one had done them before, and there weren't really processes, and in some cases, tools to allow us to do it. Um, and we just found a way, really, and that's what was super exciting about it. Um, and that's why I love digital. I mean, it continuously evolves. There's always something new to try, um, uh, something new to learn. But, you know, f- you know, from launching the first, I mean, I remember we launched our, the first Facebook page for, for Topshop. And, you know, that was something new at that point. Brands didn't really have Facebook pages. And, you know, that went on to um, encompass a number of different social channels. And we launched international sites and had to work through, uh, okay, well, you know, what does internationalization look like? Is it just language? Is it proposition? Is it content? Um, how do we how do we grow the business in our other markets that um, are not as familiar with us uh, to us as as the markets that we're currently working in? Um, yeah, it was great, a really brilliant experience, um, and uh, and excited to still be in the industry, but in a slightly different guise these days as well. But building on on that sort of innovation and excitement um, and growth opportunities that were there in the first days of digital, but that now I see um, within sustainability and retail as well. The the previous guest that I spoke to on this podcast, a guy called Mark A. Preston, who, who talks about the mindset of digital marketing and SEO. And I can see well, my interpretation of what you're saying is that it's spotting opportunities and it's finding novel ways to solve problems. And I think we're still there, especially with SEO. Obviously, I'm coming from this from an SEO angle. We, we are still in the Wild West. We, we are still kind of trying to figure out. And I think it is, it's one of the things that's still exciting, especially when it comes to people who are prepared to try something disruptive. Now, the term disruption in business development has become a little overused, I think. And, yeah. you know, some people, it's not disruption if you put, a different type of cap on a pen for example but it is disruption if you introduce something that that can change the way a whole industry thinks about a particular angle so i'm setting you up here zoe to to explain <laughs> explain the mechanics of, of of what you do at term we we had the the kind of the pitch when i introduced you and that that's great it's, it's all very encompassing but i'm interested in perhaps finding out a little bit more about what what inspired you? When when did you spot the opportunity to to set up Turn? Um, so I think you know over the last five to ten years, um, my understanding and my knowledge and uh, and insight into the industry's impact on the environment has grown, um, and I've become much more aware of of potentially the negative sides, I guess, of especially of fast fashion, which is really where most of my retail uh, and digital experience is from um and uh 
started to not feel particularly good about it, if I'm honest. Um, started to think, hang on a second, I don't know that this is where I want to be. I don't really want to be continuing to contribute to this consume, consume, consume mindset, um, this throwaway mindset. Um, and thinking, how could I potentially use my skills um, and my experience, but to better effect? Um, and my co-founder, Kate, who I had met at Topshop, we ran the digital team together there. Um, we both went our separate ways after we'd left Topshop, um, working for other high street retailers. But we, we'd always stayed in touch. We really enjoyed working together um, and we're constantly talking about what that might look like and, and how we might join forces again. Um, and talking about what we were seeing in, in the market and, you know, having this same conversation around not feeling great about what we were doing, um, thinking that there was potentially opportunity to um, rethink the direction that we moved in and listening to our customers as well. And sustainability was becoming more important to the customer. They were actively starting to seek out brands that were um, talking about being more sustainable, more responsible and, and offering solutions for it. Um, and at the same time, we could see the rise in second hand online, um, very much um, like when we first started in e-commerce and no one was doing that particularly well. Second hand online um, wasn't and still isn't to, to some extent being done very well. And actually, that's originally where we thought uh, we might um, we might set our stall out. Um, and we're looking to potentially launch a secondhand marketplace for children's goods, buggies, prams, pushchairs, etc. That, you know, people spend a lot of money on and they hold their value. Um, and, you know, there's there's a big opportunity for it within in the secondhand market. But we wanted to learn more about what was going on in the industry and, and the challenges and the opportunities that sustainability and the circular economy um, could offer. So we actually ended up setting up our own digital consultancy at the end of 2019 to focus on sustainable retail. And through that and through our network and through continued conversations, I think what we realised was um, whilst the secondhand marketplace for children's goods was a great idea, there actually was potentially a bigger opportunity um, out there. And that was really around enabling brands and retailers to recognise that um, sustainability was a business opportunity um, and build them the tools um, and the um, access to be able to embed circular programs directly into their business um, in a way that was frictionless, wasn't that difficult, wasn't that onerous, but that would really unlock the potential that these secondary markets can offer. Because the reality is for many retailers at the moment, their customers are probably buying their products secondhand online already, just not from them. So recognising that, you know, net zero targets and uh, sustainable uh, practices need to be thought about, need to be embedded into business. And what does that mean for you? How do you change your business? How do you build on what you've got, but change your business model um, to integrate something that is better for the planet, that is better for your business and, you know, helps move you in the direction that your customers and stakeholders want you to move in. It, it, I think, I think that's, that's incredibly exciting. I mean, just to break it down to, into my kind of a simple understanding, one of the challenges with any secondhand market is that you are selling a potentially very broad range of items 
from many different manufacturers. And, you know, there, there is eBay, which is to a certain extent a, a tap market, a lot of it. And the way that products are listed, described, photographed, all of those things are quite separate from the the norms that, that have become more established in primary brand e-commerce. So if I understand it correctly, what you're saying is that if you are – I'm not going to, I don't want to mention a brand because I want to kind of keep it, keep it neutral. If you, okay, well, let's put it this way. If, if your company is called Yesio Jeans and you've sold a hundred thousand pairs of Yesio Jeans over a year, a proportion of those jeans are going to end up in landfill or are going to end up being a kind of a dead end in terms of sustainability because the, the carbon has been, been, used in the manufacturer movement shipping and running the website so once those genes go in the bin that that there's no carbon um, pullback there's there's nothing coming back so if yesio genes um i sound to like the idea of that uh if yesio genes selling a million pairs if they can get if we could get back a hundred thousand pairs of genes in terms of listing those on an e-commerce website we know what the products look like, we know what their the uh, the range and the sizes are. You know, we we already know a lot more about our own products than we would about trying to sell other secondhand things. So, do first of all, am I understanding? Is that yeah? So so the the premise of Turn and, and our MVP is a trade in or buyback app that allows brands and retailers um, to set up their own trade in program so their customers can easily trade in their pre-owned items directly with the brand or retailer that they bought them from and in exchange receive some credit spend on a future purchase. Um, in terms of the carbon footprint, I think that's a really interesting point of view um, and topic to unpick because the vast majority of a product's carbon footprint is in its initial manufacturing um, and production and transportation. Um, so extending the life of that product through reuse or resale significantly reduces that carbon impact. Now, if as a brand you are committed to um, becoming more circular, becoming more sustainable, um, doing your part to, to get to net zero, you need to think about how you're going to continue to grow your business. And circularity and embedding those programs directly into your business is the is the perfect way to do that so if you run your own trading program and you allow your customers to trade in their product when they finish with it directly back with you you're creating your own um, supply chain of secondhand products for reuse or resale and as you said you know you are the best position to know what to do with that product in the secondary market. You designed it, you made it, um, you know, you sold it. You've got all of that original data. But it also offers your customers a reason to buy from you in the first place. Because if I know I buy jeans from Yesio Jeans, when I'm done with them for whatever reason, maybe um, I don't like them, they don't fit me, maybe they've got a rip in them in an inopportune place and I, and I don't know how to repair them. But if I know that I can trade them back in with you when I'm done with them, that is a reason for me to buy with you in the first place. And then the credit that you give me for um, for trading those items in is a reason for me to continue shopping with you. Now, 
So it's a great customer acquisition and retention tool. And not only that, you know, it's fully traceable, it's fully trackable. You know exactly what the impact of that trading is on your business and what your customer ongoing uh, purchase frequency and loyalty is. You can, you know, track that and monitor it and really um, build your business based on that data. Um, But the reality is that every retailer worldwide at some point in the next few years is going to have to be accountable for the full life cycle of their products. Um, Legislation is going to force them to do that. We're seeing that in France and Germany um, coming to the fore at the moment. It's, you know, this is the way the world is going and their customers are are actively looking to buy secondhand. So wouldn't you want to own that experience? Wouldn't you want to own that relationship with the customer that, you know, the pricing, the quality control, the imagery, all of that why would you leave that to someone else absolutely and and it's interesting because we've seen this pressure and legislation in other industries so the electrical industry has the uh unfortunately titled we we yeah (laughs) it wasn't really well well thought through that one what happened in that meeting but you've raised something there so you've got the opportunity in retail now to say you know let's get ahead of this let's actually be a part of the conversation And, and i'm a very optimistic person but i quite like the idea that when the kind of a uh, pale stale and male committees meet to to kind of form plans around the legislation for this that the organizations like turn and and bigger retailers could be a part of that but leading from the front i think in other industries that have had uh, this sort of legislation thrust upon them they've, they've started off on, on the back foot and immediately trying to like almost ring fence the way they're already acting but if you're if you're in 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 clothing and retail and you're saying look no we're already doing these things and these are the things we've learned and i think that that bodes a lot more positively for the whole for the whole industry really for the whole future yeah i mean look there is there's no doubt about it change is required and some uh you know vision and foresight of kind of the direction of travel and the opportunity that circularity can deliver um is required. Change is hard and we are trying to make it easy and break down those barriers for retailers to build these programs directly into their business, but also break down the barriers for customers to participate. I think you mentioned eBay. Um, I mean, obviously there is a huge amount of peer-to-peer resale happening already. We've got eBay, we've got Vintage, we've got Depop, we've got Gumtree, we've got Spock, you know, all of these places. But not every customer wants to be a seller. Um, you're not guaranteed a sale if you try and sell something on eBay. You also have to go through the process of photographing it, describing it, deciding what you're going to price it at, haggling with potential customers. And at the end of that, you may not even sell it. Or if you do, you might not get what you think is a, you know, a decent amount for it. So the benefit from offering um, a brand-led service where I, as a consumer, can just go directly back to the the retailer that I bought it from. There is a comfort level and an ease level within that because I know I can get rid of it responsibly. I know that product's not going to landfill. I'm getting a little bit of credit as a reward for doing so. But I also know I just feel good about what I'm doing because, you know, we've all got stuff in cupboards, wardrobes, lofts, sheds, etc. that you know, we don't want to throw away because that feels wasteful um, and we don't want to contribute towards landfill, we feel guilty about that. But you also don't really know what to do with it. So it either just sits there 
in cupboards gathering dust and there's no value recapture there for anyone um or more often than not you sit on it for a while and then you just do end up throwing it away because you just haven't found any easy solutions to help you with that or in the case of uh you talked earlier about children's uh children's things uh, speaking as a parent you you just hope your your friends start having children so you can get <laughs> well i mean there's a there, there's a there's a huge uh, benefit to hand me down so i mean my my kids definitely uh, benefit from that from their older cousins which is great but not everyone has that network it's you know seasons change tastes change um but i think you know what we're trying to build is something and it's not specific to fashion either although fashion is is a massive problem to solve um, we're trying to build something that is accessible, that's affordable, that really drives change at scale by making it easy. So How you're... is this a no-brainer solution to stuff that I don't want, need or use anymore? So m- mechanically, we can see that from the consumer's perspective, it, it adds to that brand warmth, that fuzzy feeling about your favourite brands, because you know we know that if I, if I buy something from these people, there is a route back for it. Um, from brands, I can see the advantage that to a certain extent they get to continue to protect their brand. So we know that sort of premium brands will never allow uh, their own channels to show items that are damaged or not quite perfect. So that there's a sort of protection level there. Um, mechanically for the the retailers and the manufacturers, is my understanding that, that you actually have developed, I know you have an app, that does this snap into existing e-commerce things or, or is it, how, do, how does it work on a mechanical level? Yeah, so our, our MVP um, that's live currently is a plug and play trading app for Shopify. For oh. Using the Shopify e-commerce platform. Um, Shopify is a great launch platform for us. Obviously, we're, um, the ambition is bigger. We want to be able to support all of the e-commerce platforms um, that are out there, um, and that's already work in progress. But um, in essence, it's got three elements to it. It's, it's, it's a white label solution. It lives within the retailer's own website, so they're not losing traffic to a third party or to a secondary website. Customers come directly back to them, and there is a trading engine, so the customer can either identify from their order history if it exists or register a product if they got it via another channel, whether that's buying in a physical retail store, maybe they bought it from a wholesale partner, maybe it was gifted. But the customer can select the items that they want to trade in. They see an amount of credit that the retailer is willing to offer them for those items. It's a transparent service and they know all the way through what they're going to get. Once they've selected the items they want to send back, we've got an integrated logistics solution. So based on the customer's location, we can tell them what are their local drop-off points and carrier services available. Um, and we give them a shipping label in order to send it back. Um, and then once those goods have been received back by the retailer, we automatically trigger credit to the customer on their behalf um, in the form of a discount code to be used on a future purchase. Now, we are all about the systematic recovery and recapture of product from customers back to the retailer. Um, but the data that we have uh, available to us that we can surface to the retailer can then help facilitate um relisting for resale um, it can be sh- uh, shared with a third party uh, if a 3pl warehouse provider for example who can receipt those goods and reprocess them on a retailer's behalf so we are like the enabler if you want and the data provider that then allows 
additional circular programs, whether that's resale, whether that's recycling or donation or upcycling, whatever that next best life for that product is, um, the product has been recovered um, and the data is there to help facilitate those next best life solutions. There's, there's another angle every time, you know, as this conversation goes on, there's another angle to this. The little light bulbs popping off in my head here. So, so it's, it's ultimately, it's, it's very scalable. You know, it's because it's an app and because, you know, you, you are connecting the dots for people. I, I can see that it's scalable upwards kind of quite, quite naturally. Um, you're happy, I'm quite happy for you not to answer this, but what, what's the, the minimum entry? I mean, is this something that potentially could be available for what Americans call mom and pop stores in the future? Um, so it was really, really important to us when we first started this that we built a um, a tool and a solution that was accessible and affordable for retailers of any size. Because I think what we, we see in the industry, um, especially a couple of years ago when we first started out, but um, you know, still remains relatively true to date, is that a, a vast number of the solutions out there are for big business, for businesses that have big volumes uh, of initial of initial sales and have the financial and operational capabilities to tap into those services. We wanted to build something that was available to SMEs who make up you know, 90, 95% of the retail landscape. And so it's a plug and play solution. It is a tiered um, monthly subscription based service and our entry level is $100 a month. That's, that's amazing. It sounds like I, I was I was leading you down that way, but I genuinely didn't know. I was I, I was I was trying to sort of spot spot where the bottom of the funnel was, as it, as it were. And no, hundred dollars a month for for SMEs that that almost makes it a no no brainer, especially while we're all looking for legitimate, measurable, real ways to to minimize our you know our impact on on society and and the planet. So, Zoe, this has been really, really interesting. I think I could probably carry on talking to you for ages, but it, it, I'm just going to get more and more geeky about the uh, that side of it. So I really appreciate your time today. I mean, is, what, is there a core message you'd like to send out there as, a, as a, a nice kind of bookend for this conversation? I think my, my core message and the one thing that we want to really um, get out there is this is not as hard as you think it is. You can think of a million reasons not to do this, but the benefits far outweigh um, the negatives. Um, so come talk to us about how easy we can make it for you because we can get you set up with a trade-in and resale program really, really quickly and you can start to see the benefits to your business um, pretty pretty swiftly. So, yeah, remember that. It's not as hard as you think it is. That, that's a, a fantastic end note there. Thank you ever so much for your time, Zoe. Um, I'm going to say goodbye now. Would you like to say goodbye? Yeah, thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed our conversation. <laughs>